as a church. We thank you for what you've done in our midst, and I just pray right now that your presence would be here, that you'd move, Lord, that you would open our minds and open our hearts to hear your word and hear your truth. In your name, amen. So like I said, today is something we do probably once every few months or so called Storyteller Sunday. We haven't done one in a while, but Storyteller Sunday is something really, really near and dear to my heart. And to explain kind of why this is so important, I want to start by telling all of you a story. This goes, we got to get in the Wayback Machine. So get in the machine, go the Wayback Machine to last spring. Okay, this is last spring, and uh, Pastor Ross and different ones of the leadership team, we actually went out for a couple of days and prayed and planned and dreamed and kind of got our calendar ready. This is going into Easter and all this sort of stuff of what we're going to do. And so as all that was happening in the midst that, uh, I also direct something called The Thorn. And so uh, I get to direct it. It's a traveling Easter show, a lot of fun, and it was happening in Dallas. And so the plan was I was going to go for the day with the team, and then I had to be a in Dallas at uh, 5.30. So we had kind of gone on a little road trip. We got back here at 1 o'clock, and I had to be in Dallas by 5.30. So we're getting ready to go. Everything's there. And the next thing I know, it's kind of time to go, and I'm looking for my phone. And I cannot find my phone. And so all of a sudden, I'm kind of looking in the back seats between the cushions. Russ Walker's getting back there, kind of like crawling between stuff. Amy, Kim, kind of the whole team is like looking over all over the car for my phone, like turning stuff over and opening suitcases. We cannot find it anywhere. And so by now, it's like 1.30ish, and I'm like, I've got to go. I've just got to go. I don't know how to go. And so I get in my car, and I start driving to Dallas without a GPS. When was the last time you drove anywhere without a GPS that you did not know the directions to? I was like, I don't know how to do this anymore. Do I get a paper map? What do I do? I felt like Columbus. Like, man, this is exactly what he must have felt like. I'm driving here, and I'm just going to fall off the ends of the earth. And so I'm in the car kind of driving up 35, just like, all right, I'm going to get there, and then I'll get to a gas station and maybe ask them where to go. And so I'm super nervous about it. But okay, looking at my watch, I'm still good, still good, still good. And then all of a sudden, I hear, boom. You know that sound <laughs> because this was the sound of the tire kind of blowing up and rattling and all of a sudden I'm in the lane uh, going fast and then the next thing I know I have to kind of pull the car over and see what's going on. And so I look and my uh, passenger side front tire is blown out, just kind of totally gone. And so I was like, all right, there's no one to call. There's no one to do because I don't have a phone, so I can't call anyone. So next thing I knew, I was like, all right, how do people do this before phones? Like, what happens here? So I opened up the back of my trunk, kind of took the tire out. I was like, I'm an adult. I'm a man. I can handle this. And so I went, and the, the jack in my car, I'd never really looked at it before. I don't know how many of you have looked at your jack in your car. You probably have these, like, monstrous, awesome jacks. Mine looked like a toy that my kids will play with. It was this little tiny jack with, like, a little plastic. And I was like, kind of this huge, massive car. And I'm like, you know, kind of, like, putting it up. And I was like, is this going to fall on me? Like, did I do it right? And so I'm nervous. And then, but I'm like, I got to keep going. I got to be up there. And so I take the tire off. Uh, put it on, put on the spare tire, good to go, lower it all the way down, and it kind of lowers all the way down, and the tire is flat. The spare tire is flat. Have you ever had one of those days where it just won't go right? That's what was happening to me. It was there. And so finally I was there, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't have a phone. I'm trapped here. And so I was literally like on the side of the road, like waving at people, like just waving as they're driving by, and they're like, that guy's creepy. Why doesn't he just call someone? <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not. I don't have a phone. I don't have a phone. I'm screaming at cars as they just kind of start driving past me. And I was like, this is horrible. And so finally someone goes, has sympathy, pulls over. He was a Cowboys fan, and I learned there were good Cowboys fans on that day. I didn't even know that was possible. But there's at least one. And so uh, he went and rescued me, kind of took me uh, back uh, to um, the place where I could go and get my car fixed. Totally mispracticed, but everything turned out fine. The show was fine. Everything was good to go. A couple days later, I get um, an email, an email from Ross. Oh, I missed one important part of this story, which is when, when I just parked the car, we had gone back and forth. And he's like, Rob. I know where you left your phone. I was like, where did I leave my phone? And he's like, you left it at Bucky's. Have you been to Bucky's before? If you've never been to Bucky's, it's like take H E B, 
Walmart and all the Texas gas stations ever made and put them in a blender and that's Bucky's. It is incredible. It is a sight to see. And so he's like, he's like, you were so awestruck when you walked into Bucky's. You just dropped your phone right there and just kind of walked in and got beaver nuggets. That's what happened to you. <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, no, this did not happen. So we kind of debated at it. I was like, I promise it's not Bucky's. It's in the car. He's like, it's not. So we kind of went back and forth. A few days later, I got an email from Pastor Ross, uh, or maybe a text on my computer, and he says, Hey, Rob, uh, we found your phone. And so I was like what do you mean you found your phone? And, and he said, Amy was driving and she pulls into uh, the driveway and she hears this gunk And she's like, what was that? And she goes and kind of looks up at the roof of the car and my phone is there sitting on the top of the car for three days it was sitting up there. <laughs> three, I mean, she was taking the kids, going to H-E-B, doing all this sort of stuff, and for three days my phone was there, and I was like, surely it's destroyed. It was there without a crack. <laughs> that is a miracle! <laughs> and yeah, if Ross was driving, the, the phone would have been shattered. It would be a big mess. But <laughs> luckily, Amy was driving, and so everything was safe. And so uh, two days later, I dropped my phone, and it shattered. So that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my wife is thinking. Is like, <laughs> And so uh, I'm not going to tell that story right now, but why do I tell this big, long kind of story about my phone and this journey? Is because I wanted you to experience this story. It'd be one thing if I said, oh yeah, I lost my phone and the name you found on the top of the car is like, oh wow, that's neat. But when you hear this story and go along in the journey with me, you can feel what I, can f- what I felt. You understand what I was going through. And that's the power of what stories have. And so today we're going to open up our pulpit and we're going to have a few one chapelonians uh, share their stories, share what's going on in their lives and what their journey has been. But before we do that, I want to kind of help you understand the reason this is so important scripturally. And so Psalm 71 verse 15 says this, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Oh God, from my youth, you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. We have to keep proclaiming his wondrous deeds, one chapel. That's so important. So here's three big ideas here. Number one, our stories let us articulate what God has done in our lives. Our story let us articulate what God has done. A lot of times when we're trying to explain our faith and who we are and what we do and why we believe what we do, we can give different theological reasons. We can talk about our background or our families or kind of different things like that, but nothing is more important to sharing your faith and who you are than telling your story of what God has done in your life. John 9 explains it like this. This is one of my favorite stories in scripture, and this is the story of the young man who was healed. He was blind his whole life and he was healed. And so after this happened, I'm going to pick up 9, verse 9. After the miracle happened, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salem and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. And I want to pause right here in the story because this is important to know that even the miracle had already happened. Everything had already taken place. And how do people react? Did some people say, oh, that's amazing, that's incredible. They're like, no, this couldn't possibly be you. You couldn't be that same guy. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes when an incredible story happens in our life, the reaction is not cheers and amens and hallelujah. The reaction is whispers. The reaction is, no, 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 that didn't happen. You're still the alcoholic. You're still the cheater. You're still the failure. You never will have your life together. And people kind of bring those whispers to us, even though God has done something great. And so I think when that happens, it's so important to see how this young man reacted. Skip ahead a bit to John 9, verse 17. Now the Pharisees are getting involved, and they're trying to figure out what happened. So then they again turn to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight, so they went to see the men's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. 
Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of a Jewish leader who had already decided anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So they're trying to trap the parents. They're trying to get what's going on. They're, they're too afraid to even tell the story. So they're like, no, ask our son. That is why the parents said he is of age. Ask him. Verse 24. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. One of the most famous kind of tweetable one-liners in scripture right there. But what's important is knowing the context of what's going on, of people attacking him, of his friends and neighbors attacking, asking what's going on. The Pharisees are attacking him. And he's like, I can't explain it all, but I can tell you my story. I was blind and now I see. I think a lot of times we don't need to be better at preaching at people. We need to be better at hearing and telling God's stories. And the reason for this uh, is in point number two. Stories don't incite arguments, they invite conversation. Uh, me, uh, if you know anything about me, I love film, I love screenwriting, I love novels, I love stories, I've studied it for most of my life. And one of the things like, that I could sum up of why I'm so passionate about this is I had a screenwriting professor tell me, when we say thou shalt not, we speak to the head. When we say once upon a time, we speak to the heart. And so sometimes we're preaching at people, preaching at people, and they'll actually retreat. But when we say, hey, here's my story, or here's a story, they'll lean in. And I think this is so important because we actually see Jesus do this over and over and over again. If you look at the parables throughout the gospel, and there's countless parables in all the different gospels, and in each one of the parables, the way they started was not Jesus just kind of randomly telling the story. The way a lot of the parables started was by someone asking Jesus a really difficult question, probably trying to get him to argue, to debate back, and everything else. If you look at Matthew 18, it says this, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven, as, many as seven times? Jesus famously goes on to say, forgive 70 times seven. And that feels like a lot. And then he tells the story of the unmerciful servant, the servant who went and uh, was forgiven a huge debt and then would not forgive someone else a very small debt. And Jesus told this story to help him understand, listen, forgiveness is about you understanding the huge debt that you've had taken away from you. If you look at Luke 15, uh, this is another moment where someone's trying to kind of trap, one of the Pharisees is trying to trap Jesus and say, okay, who are you really? And at uh, Luke 15, the question is asked, this man is a sinner. Why are you eating with him? And Jesus responds with not one parable, but three. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. And he says, this is the reason why I eat with sinners is because the way that father felt when he took his son home and celebrated him and said, you're welcome home. That's how I feel about sinners. I don't feel like there are people to be cast away and put aside. I feel like there are people who belong at my table who should be celebrated and loved. Even uh, in Luke 10, uh, someone's asked Jesus, okay, what's the greatest commandment? And so he says, love the Lord, the God, your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so in Love Your Neighbor, they kind of push back a little bit. But they're like, yeah, but who really is my neighbor? And so Jesus could give kind of a logical, rational explanation of it. But instead, what he does is he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. So a lot of times in these arguments, these tricky situations and ways there, Jesus doesn't go and incite an argument. Jesus will go and tell a story to provide context of this is the reason why. This is why these things are so important. You see, I think our stories also in the midst of that, help us look for God at work. They help us see other stories around us. I, I've talked about this before, but when I was um, first, I had two kids and we were about to have three kids and I realized there was a big moment coming in my life. And that's the moment when I had to go from like regular car to minivan. I know brother. <laughs> It was a dark moment. It was like, oh, wow, I've got to do that. Like, I can't get a minivan. That's not me. I'm not the minivan guy. I'm Rob. I'm a free spirit. Like, minivan, that says so much about you. So we wrestled through it and prayed about it, and it was like, minivan, like, that's it. That's the answer. And I was like, oh, man. And so I was like, okay, if I'm going to get a minivan, we got to find one with a cool color. And so there were ones that were, like, kind of taupe or ones that were, uh, you know, white or different ones. And I was like, I want something cool. So we found this really cool sky blue minivan. And I was like, 
that's a unique minivan. I love that minivan. So we went and we bought the minivan and I was like, you know what? This isn't so bad. I'm in a minivan, but I'm still an original guy. And I'll never forget this moment of pulling up to a stoplight. And then all of a sudden, a minivan that looks just like mine pulls up to my right. And a minivan that looks just like mine pulls up to the left. And I felt like that color blue minivan was everywhere. There were no other cars except for my minivan. I couldn't stop seeing it. It was, it was an incredible moment. I was like, what is happening? Have you ever had that moment where you bought a car and you see that car everywhere? Amen? Okay, and so you know what I'm talking about. And so I give this story to say this. Sometimes when we, see, when we start telling these God stories, what it actually does is it helps us, us open our eyes and see the stories all around us. And the story of the blind man, I think it's important to realize that miracle happened and a lot of the miracles happened and they didn't happen with individuals. A lot of times miracles would happen with a huge crowd all around them. And I'm sure that huge crowd all around them all had different financial needs. They had different medical needs. They had different needs in their life. And sometimes for us, I think that same thing can happen where we can have needs in our lives and we're looking to God, God, where are you? And he's here with us. But sometimes when we're saying, God, where are you? What God's saying is like, look to your neighbor. Look to that person right next to you at one chapel. There is stuff happening. One chapel, I can tell you, I hear your stories. There are amazing stories happening amongst this family all the time, but sometimes we never hear them because we're just too busy and we never get to hear these stories. There are blue minivans all around you, and if you would just open your eyes, you would be able to see the incredible things that are happening. So I think the third reason we do this is this. We tell our stories to encourage each other. Sometimes we think our stories are just for ourselves, but when, sometimes when we're bold enough, and if you want to, we'll do these stories different times. If you want to tell your story sometime, email me rob.stennett at onechapel.com. I would love to hear your story and find a place where we could tell it because I think it's so important. And so we're going to hear a couple of stories today, and I, these stories are going to encourage us and give us strength, and sometimes I think what will happen for a lot of us is we will see ourselves in these stories. The story, the theme of today is down but not out. So we're going to hear stories of people who are down, feeling low in their life, and maybe feeling, God, where are you? But God in the midst of these stories. And I think what happens when we hear that is this. Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to hear stories of light, of God working in all sorts of different situations. So uh, if you would today, lean in, listen, and welcome our storytellers. So would you please welcome our first storyteller this morning, Miss Lori Catone. Lori, come on up here. Give her a one chapel welcome. Thanks, Rob. Okay, so I have a lot of stories, and I've been given about five minutes. So... I'm from Kentucky. I don't talk that fast, so I'm going to just jump in. My husband and I, we've been married for 26 years this month, whoop, whoop. and we have four boys. Woo. Okay, so I'm a little tired, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about our four boys. So they're all grown now. That's really a miracle right there. They all grew up, and that's awesome, uh, but they're 25, 23, 21, and 19 years old. And they're wonderful, fabulous, gorgeous, amazing young men today. But <laughs> when they were growing up, we were like, oh, we're going to be the best parents and everything's going to go great. And does this sound familiar? Like, y'all, like, oh, man, I, we're going to have them in church every Sunday. They're going to love Jesus. Everything's going to go great. And then, you know, we had the typical boy stuff, you know, like they would bring all kinds of critters home. Um, Probably the most unusual one was uh, a, a possum. <laughs> and possums are gross. And they really do stick out their eye, their nose, I mean, their nose. They really do stick out their tongue and just look at you like that. And it, it's really gross. The uh, boys start fires with magnifying glasses uh, inside and outside your house. Uh, they do fight a lot. They do pick their nose. They do, um, well, they do fill up your, your, ice ch your big standing ice chest with water just to see how big of an ice cube could we really make. <laughs> so we, we went through a lot of stuff. 
But um, one thing we, we didn't really expect to go through um, was all the stories starting in teenage. My oldest son was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome at 10 years old. And a lot of you know what Asperger's syndrome is today, but 15 years ago, we did not know what Asperger's syndrome was. And it is on the autism scale. And so we began to learn more about that and how to deal with him and how to help him. Um, but not long after that, in his, his pre-adolescence, he developed uh, a lot of anxiety, like extreme anxiety disorder. And so Graham began to uh, abuse his medication. He began to self-medicate with drugs. Uh, one time we, we found him in the garage, I think he was 11 or 12 years old, unconscious because he was huffing propane. Um, we, I mean, you know, it was a joke earlier, but really, was he going to grow up? Was he going to be a young man? How was this going to end? Um, and as the years went on, it didn't get better. It got much worse. And we prayed, and we still had our kids in church, and we did the right thing. And it went from bad to worse. And he was diagnosed bipolar. And at one time, he was diagnosed schizophrenic. And um, drug abuse. And he had many um, times that he would go into the mental health facility. Um, and then they give him more drugs. And so dad and I are like, how do we help? God, what are you doing? God, we need a miracle. And, you know, I've, I've found, and, and, and Graham went to prison too. So in all of this, we didn't plan this. We didn't do this. We weren't abusive parents. We didn't, what? We have no control here. What, how, down? Yes, we were, we were down. And during all that time and all those, mm, so many stories, so many stories. But um, I remember praying for a miracle. And, you know, we do that, right? And it's good because God is in the, mir in the miracle business, right? And I found myself where I was just looking for the miracle. Come on, God, where's the miracle? Come on, God, you can do it. Come on, God, if they just, just this, I'll give you all the glory. I promise I'll give you all the glory. But still nothing. Years and years and years. And still bad. And there was a point where we just said, this is going to end bad. This is just going to end bad. Okay, how am I going to handle it when it ends bad? And uh, many, many, many late nights uh, begging God, please just do a miracle. Please, you've done a miracle for this guy. I've heard about this lady. I heard. Can you just do that miracle for us? And it was in the downtime that God visited me and said, you're looking for my hand, but where's my face? You're looking for the miracles and the gifts, but what about me, the giver? And what I had failed to do was I was so wrapped up in my son and, and what I wanted the outcome to be that I failed to know and realize that God was in the process the whole time. God's not just in the miracle. He's not just in the outcome. But going through it all was the miracle. God did a miracle in me, in my husband, in our family, to show me, look at my face. And in the middle of, I'm pretty sure my son is, is no longer with us. I'm pretty sure we're going to have to go identify him in a morgue. In the midst of that, God wrapped me up, and I saw his face. And I saw peace. And guess what? Peace wasn't in the outcome. Peace was in God. Peace was him. Peace was his presence. So I didn't know 
about what had happened with Graham. I didn't know how it was ending. I didn't know what we would do next. But I knew that my Jesus was with me, and I had his presence. And when I was able to see him as my joy and him as my peace instead of the outcome, as oh, once that finally happens, then I'll have peace, that's really not how it works. He is our peace. So I have to end, but God, he gave me the opportunity and he actually told me I had to write a book. And I don't write books, but I did write this book. And so it has all the stories in it um, because I'll just end with a little teaser that God did do a miracle in Graham. Um, so that's our story. Thank you, Lori. Now would you please welcome our next storyteller, Andrew Fortner. Andrew, come on up here. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. Um, you know, when you look in the Bible and you, you see the list of spiritual gifts that are there, um, the one that I've figured out over the years that I have is the one that's called the Rocky Balboa gift. I'm kind of forgetting exactly where it's at in the Bible, but I know it's in there somewhere. And you know what it is. It's the one that says, may not be the smartest guy in the room, but when he gets laid on the mat, he always figures out a way to get back up and cut me, Mick, and just keep on going and keep fighting. That's the one that I have. And that actually is not a bad gift to have because it's enabled me to do some pretty cool stuff uh, throughout my life. Years ago, um, I was a youth pastor in a small church in East Texas, and, and it went really well. We built up a really cool youth, youth ministry. Um, after that, I was an associate pastor at a church in Waco. And then in 2005, my wife and I and our family, we got to do the most amazing, crazy, cool thing that I know a lot of you know about, and that is we planted a brand new church. And in the fall of September of 2005, we went from about 12 people to about 150 people overnight, which is an amazing, amazing God win. It was incredible. And we lived that dream for uh, five years pastoring that church. But in year number six, that amazing dream story turned into a nightmare. We went through a year of trial after problem, after heartache, after hardship, and I was the pastor that didn't go on the sabbatical, and it wasn't so good. So the sabbatical's a good thing. I know, I know it's a good thing. But we had a lot of problems, just, just the usual stuff, you know, uh, members leaving, claiming that the pastor's demon-possessed, and, and uh, you know, people, people, we had about five families that just left all at once. Now, five families isn't a mass exodus, but when your church is only 150 people, five families is a lot of families to leave. We had to cut our budget significantly. Uh, we had a ministry leader that kind of got a little bit off, and when trying to gently bring them back, they decided to respond in a very slanderous way toward me, and it was very, very hurtful because we were very close to those people. And, and this just went on for, it seemed, week after week. Normally, this guy that could get laid down to the mat, I could get back up and figure it out. But it was happening so much that I couldn't, I couldn't get back up. And one of the last things that's happened that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back is, is my, my own father said some words to me that were very, very harsh. And he's, he's asked for forgiveness for it, and he's apologized, but at the time, it was so hard. And I was down on that mat, and I could not get back up. And so what I did is I jumped up and I ran away as fast as I could. We, we resigned from our church. We handed it over to another ministry. And we moved 700 miles away and wound up right here in Austin, Texas. And uh, yes. And um, I did get a, a job at a church here, but it became very clear very soon that it was not the right place for me. And then in another disappointment, I was let go from that church. And so here I had gone in a period of about a year to being, doing this amazing work, job, career mission for God to waking up at three o'clock in the morning and stocking shelves at a grocery store. It was me and God on the mountain, win, glory. Me and the Campbell's soup can, 
stocking the shelf. And there's not, nothing in the world wrong with that. But in my heart, I felt like I had fallen so, so far. And it was about that time where this little message started playing around in my head. And maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you, you, you can relate to this. But it, it went something like this. You are a failure. Now, I knew that that wasn't true. And I knew exactly where it was coming from. It's the devil, because that's what he does. He lies, and he tries to discourage us. But I had been through so many hard things that I could not rationally refute his claims. And I actually began to believe it. And I sunk into a very, very low place of depression. Now, I'd helped a lot of people in my life through depression, but I had never experienced it myself. And I'm very happy to say that I didn't stay there. Over time, through the prayers of a very loving and caring wife and family, through a close friendship of a gentleman that I would get with for coffee sometimes once a week and still do to this day, just listening to me and sharing and being real with each other, through this town where I crash landed finding a really awesome church, one chapel, which by the way, if the first few weeks that I came here, I sat there, I just cried every week. I don't remember what was said. I don't remember what happened. I just knew I was in the presence of God, and I was starting to love church again. So thank you for planning a church here. Um, and then also through just rediscovering the joy of, of just having a daily quiet time with God, reading the Bible and letting the truth get into me, I really have come, slowly worked back to a place where I think I'm probably more healthy and more content than I've, than I've ever been in my life. And so this is just the, the simple thing that I want to share with you guys, is maybe you're in a place where the devil has played that card and he said, you've lost, you're a failure, you've done too much. Here's the thing I think I want you to hear, and I think he would love for you to hear, is this, is your value is not in the amount of wins and losses that you have. It's not in your success, perceived success or failure, but it is simply in as a Christ follower who you belong to, and that is you belong to a perfect God who made you, made the universe, and can palm it in his hands, and all he wants to do is hang out and be with you because you're his kid. You see, God is not the dad who goes to the ball game and hopes that you'll win to bring the family name up or to fulfill some thing that he had um, wanting to, to win. No, he's the kind of dad that wants to go in the backyard and just have a game of catch with you and enjoy you for who you are. So here's a scripture right here, Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up the flames will not consume you. God bless you guys, and please be encouraged. Thank you, Andrew. That's awesome. Uh, for our final storytellers today, I want to do something a little bit different and invite uh, two people who have poured so much into this place and just to tell their story of what's been happening over the last uh, eight weeks. So if you would, please welcome Pastor Ross and Amy Parsley. Um, I, will, I feel like I need to say this. Uh, Lori wrote a book, and it is fantastic. It's called Nothing is Wasted, A True Story of Peace, Finding Peace in Chaos. It's available at Amazon.com. You should go get it. Hearing Andrew's story, so incredible. Uh, the people around you have stories. All of us have stories. And, um, you know, I was born on Saturday and in church on Sunday. <laughs> I'm not going to tell that whole story from there forward. But um, my dad was a pastor, and so uh, growing up in a pastor's home and then planting a church, I was a pastor for many, many years, and then planted this church seven years ago. I've heard uh, so many of your stories. I've been with you in your moment of crisis. We were in the hospital yesterday with a family from our church just fighting it through. It is so challenging, life is challenging, 
Everybody has to deal with brokenness. Everybody has to deal with stuff. And I'm just here to remind you that pastors are people too. <laughs> like, like pastors, sometimes they just get tired of working on the weekends. <laughs> some, t- some of you are like, what? what? No, yes, I work every weekend. So sometimes I feel like I'm just like you. I feel like I'm in a perpetual episode of The Office. And that's really bad because that makes me Michael Scott here at the church. (laughs) But what happened on our sabbatical was so good and so amazing after uh, just about seven years in September is how old the church will be when when we hit that mark. And I knew that I was tired and I knew that I was grumpy and I knew that that my life was a little bit out of order. Like 2015, 2016, very difficult years. And, and so we were praying about this and, and the, the direct board of directors and the staff and the team and leadership and everybody just stayed so steady and, and they gave us a gift. And that gift was time to just be together, to get perspective on who we are, to get perspective on who I am as a person, not just as a pastor even though I love pastoring, even though it's my vocation, even though I feel called to it. But God wanted to do something in our hearts and it was a time for us to bond and reprioritize and reset. Do you wanna say anything about that? Well, I just wanna say thank you, first of all, for allowing us uh, and being gracious to let us do that. It really was a reset for us, I think, in so many ways and how we think uh, about things and, and just for our souls and refreshing. So thank you so much for allowing us to do that and for our staff and volunteers for standing in the gap and everybody pulling up the extra slack so we could do that. We are super um, happy to be back. We missed you all. You are a family to us and we're excited about the future of One Chapel and the next season of One Chapel this fall. We're super excited about what the Lord wants to do. And um, I just, I think it's funny that the theme this morning I know with Lori and with Andrew, and I think in our lives, you know, we, 2015 and 2016 was really hard, and, and for a lot of people it was. And so, you know, you keep looking for that miracle and, and for God, for that relief and for God to just do that miracle so everything's right in the world again. But we forget the miracle of God walking with us, that the God, the Yahweh, the God of the universe, that, that's a miracle that he stays and never leaves and walks with us. And so I think we're just... Um, we're, we're refreshed in that, and that, that is the miracle of God being with you in your situation, not necessarily, necessarily rescuing you all the time, but being with you and walking with you. That's amazing. It took about four weeks for us to get off out of the mindset of we have responsibility for people. We got to do something. Someone needs us. It took about four weeks for us to get out of that. And then you're, you're kind of like, oh, I feel lighter. I feel good. This is, this is right. In fact, I have some pictures of, of kind of what we did. It just showed, here's our kids on the beach. We went to the beach like a couple times. We went to Florida one time uh, for our 25th wedding anniversary. Here we are uh, building sandcastles. We were just trying to just do normal things. But there I am thinking about church. This is the first week. Um, and, and so there's, there, we, we, we did a lot of stuff. We, here's a jet boat. We, we went 100 miles an hour in this jet boat at Port Aransas. It's really fun and really cool. We thought we were going to die. And so here's, here's another thing I did. I redid my entire front of my house and repotted everything, all the plants. This was a mess. I, didn't, I don't have a before picture because I didn't want you to see how bad it was and how much my neighbors probably hated me. But I, I fixed it, like worked with my hands. I fixed a pipe. Can you believe that? No, if you know me, you know it's a big deal. It's like, it's like a huge win, all right? Here's Stephen City. They came in medicine in Fort Lauderdale. We, we just had fun with them for about three days. They're, they're 25-year-old friends. Uh, they're not 25 years old, but they've just been friends for 25 years. Here's a beautiful picture that Amy took, and it's just so much, like so much resting and relaxing. Do we have the picture where we're um, on our 25th wedding anniversary, and there's that, there's that, um, uh, what is it? The, what was it? The picture. The fish. Go to the picture with the fish. Jonathan, go to the picture with the fish. Okay, never mind. Um, so, 
So it took us about four weeks, and then we were kind of had it all kind of exhaled. And then something really strange happened. There was another problem. But the problem wasn't external. It was internal. It's where we got to see, oh, Jesus is putting his finger on this. And you've been hearing me say maybe from time to time that my word for 2017 is order. I felt like God wanted me to put my life in, back in order. I'd let it get out of order. I, my house wasn't in order. My, my attentiveness to my kids and everything was not in order. And in order, to, I think for all of us, in order to be the best employee, in order to be the best boss, in order to be the best teacher, in order to be the best you that God wants you to be, you really have to have your life in order because order creates capacity. You clean out your garage, all your stuff, you take it out and put it on the driveway, which we did this sabbatical, and then you put it all back in, you have room for cars. <laughs> it's amazing, how does that happen? You, you put everything back in order and it created capacity for you. This is what I felt like God wanted us to do and so we're putting our lives back in order and that's what sabbatical was really about for us and, and a couple of things happened. I mean, we had several cool stories. I'll just tell you one funny story that illustrates what I wanna say to you to end here. I was, um, we were, we were we'd, we'd, we'd about four weeks in, five weeks in and we were going to celebrate our 25 year wedding anniversary, going to Florida and we, we, we get on the plane, we look at each other, 10 days with no kids. <sighs> we love the kids. We love you. We love you deeply. We just don't want to always be with you. So I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. We love you. We do want to be with you. So here's the thing. This story is about being with your kids. And so we're there, and we get on the plane, we're going, we, we get to Florida, we land, humid, much more humid than here, quit complaining, and it's, it was amazing getting our rental car, we're driving to a condo, we have a little timeshare that we've had for many, many years, it's in Orlando, we're going to take a visit to West Palm Beach and visit my brother, and then we're going to go to Fort Lauderdale, it's just fantastic, we get in our condo, we, 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 we want to sleep in, right, first morning, first morning, we want to sleep in late, 7 a.m. I wake up. Amy's not there. Like, where, where'd she, where, where is she? What's going on? She's up and awake. I think it's because I snore. The more tired I get, the worse my snoring gets. And so I, so I think she's gone. We have a, there's a second bedroom in this condo, so I go looking for her, find her in this bedroom, and she's on the phone and, and talking to our youngest, Owen. He's 10 years old, and he's throwing up in the, in the bathroom. And, and she's, he's on speakerphone, and, he, and, and I, I, she's laying there, and I hear, and she's like, I'm okay, it's okay, sweetheart, it's all right, I'm here, it's going to be all right, it's going to be okay, mom, you're going to be okay, it's going to be all right, I'm here, I'm right here, I'm right, we're a thousand miles away, she's not right there. She's been on the phone for an hour by the time I get there. It was an hour and a half that she kind of guided him through throwing up, telling him it's going to be okay, and she's right here. And um, I hate it when my kids throw up. Like, I can't stand it. And I don't know what was comforting to him about being like, she, uh, like hello, she's not there. Just throw up. <laughs> Just throw up. Stop bothering your mother. <laughs> this is her vacation. This is her time away. And you call her so you can share your throw up. <laughs> what is this? But here's the amazing thing is she wanted to be on the phone. This was her time away. This was very clearly, hey, don't call us for a week. <laughs> she wanted to be on the phone. And she wanted to make him know that it was gonna be okay. And there's nothing our little one, I mean, so many of us, the worst thing that we can imagine is throwing up, right? We're getting sick, it's like, oh, oh I just don't wanna get, I just don't wanna. I had two things happen to me that I'll be unfolding over the next many weeks and months and sharing about what God is saying to me and to our church. 
But here's what's so profound that I think is so important for us. That no matter what you're facing and no matter what's going on, he is with you. You may not feel him. He may not be like tangibly putting his hand on your back, but he's there and he wants to be there. No matter how bad it is, no matter what's going on. And, 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 and if you look through the scriptures, you will see over and over again this concept. And it keeps saying, Andrew read one of them, when you're, through the, when you're walking through the waters, when, you're, when, you're, when the waters are raging, when you go through fire, I will be with you. When, you. when the psalmist said, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil is what he said. Why do I not fear evil? For thou art with me. Jesus said when he gave the great commission, and lo, I am with you always to the ends of the age. In another place, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Oh my gosh, it's everywhere in the scriptures. And the one lie that the devil wants to tell you is, you're separated. He ain't here. He's mad at you. Actually, he doesn't want to be with you. You're so gross. You're so messed up. If, if Owen, I, I'm pretty sure part of his throwing up was eating crazy food. <laughs> he ate horribly. He ate all the stuff he wasn't supposed to. And she could have just said, you know what? You shouldn't have ate it. I'll see you later. She didn't do that. Neither does God. Neither does God. He is for you and with you and right there in the darkness, right there in the, in the struggle. And the one lie the devil wants to tell you is he's not here. That's where faith takes hold is when you decide, I don't see you, I don't, I don't, I don't feel you, I'm not sure if you're going to, if I'm gonna get through this, but I believe you're with me. And so I'm gonna turn to you. This is, is what faith, how faith takes hold. This is how faith begins to grow in our lives. And we persevere in those moments because he's with us and he's gonna walk through that valley of the shadow of death. And two things happened to me. I fell more in love deeply with this woman because of stuff like that. This time away was so important. If the Bible says that if a pastor can't lead his own family, then he can't lead the family of God. I found a new appreciation, a new love for our partnership in life. That we still like each other. She's not lying. How could this face lie? So I found a deep appreciation for my wife and we found a deep respect and love for our partnership over 25 years and we're looking forward to the next 25 or 50. And the second thing that happened was God met me in the moment where none of the church was really the issue, none of my leadership skills were the issue, N my performance in my role was not the issue, it was just him and me, and he met me there. And, 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 and expressed his love for who I am. Last verse, in Matthew three, Jesus is being baptized, and God the Father shows up and says, this is my son who I love, and in whom I am well pleased. He affirms him as his son. He goes right from Matthew 3 into Matthew 4. You know what that is? Jesus going into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He's going into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You know what, every, you know what the, the first and second temptation were? The devil starts with, if you are the son of God, the devil's always going to try to get you and me to doubt who we are, that he loves us, that he's for us, and that he's with us. Come on, close your eyes, and let's pray. We've gone over time, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna close this in a word of prayer, and I'm going to, I'm gonna just ask uh, for the team to come, or the, yeah, we got, oh yeah, you're here, sorry. Um, 
I just want you to like think about these stories because in these stories, some of you see yourself, some of you see what has happened to you, like you, you, you identify with them and you're like, wow, yeah, I, I, I hear that. But then others of you are like, I just feel alone and I, I don't think I can respond in the way you want me to. Some of you are thinking to yourself, oh good, I'm not alone. That there are others who have gone through this. And so I want just as we end our time together for you to let God speak to your heart and wherever you are, whatever you're facing, whatever's going on in your soul, whatever dark place you find yourself in, whatever challenge is before you, whatever hurt you're trying to get healed of, whatever wound seems to be sitting there, I want us to ask God to come in and speak to us. Like Amy on that cell phone to Owen, it's gonna be okay. I know you don't see it, but it's gonna be okay. I'm here, I'm here, it's gonna be all right. I know it hurts. I know it hurts so bad. I'm with you. I'm for you. That's what God is saying to you today. No matter how painful, no matter how hurtful, no matter what the struggle, no matter how discouraged or down, God wants to lift you up. And so everybody in the room, just put your hand over your heart. If you would, if you want to follow with me, put your hand over your heart and just, now just, I just want you to whisper to God. If you're willing, whisper to God, okay? I believe you're with me. I believe you're with me. I believe you're here to comfort me. I believe you're here to strengthen me. I believe you're here to lift me up. I believe you're here to encourage me that I can make it. I believe you're here to heal me. I believe you're here to walk through this journey by my side. And that's not because you have to be, it's because you want to be with me. You haven't rejected me because of my mistakes and because of my failures and even the, even the things that I've done that have landed me here, I can look to you to find forgiveness and freedom for self-inflicted wounds. So Lord Jesus, we just all come to you and we say, forgive us. We say, we need you. We say, you're the one, you're the only one who can rescue us. You're the only one who can change us from the inside out. And you're the only one who can help us persevere. And you're the only one who can steer us, direct us, guide us through this valley. And so we look to you and to you alone. We thank you for this, what you're saying, what you're doing in our hearts. In Jesus' name.